Welcome to Excess Returns, where we focus on what works over the long term in the markets. Join us as we talk about the strategies and tactics that can help you become a better long-term investor. Justin Carboneau and Jack Forehand are principals at Validia Capital Management. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Validia Capital. No information on this podcast should be construed as investment advice. Securities discussed in the podcast may be holdings of clients of Validia Capital. Hey guys, this is Justin. In this episode of Excess Returns, Jack and I look at the price to book ratio and outline the arguments for and against using this as a core value investing metric. Most academic research on value investing in the premium and value stocks uses the price to book and the amount of assets and value ETFs using the price to book dwarfs most other value investing metrics. However, price to book has come under significant scrutiny over the last few years. We discuss some of the issues around this and a few other things investors may want to consider when using value metrics like this one. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy the discussion. All right. Um, what we wanted to talk about today was an article, recent article you wrote. Um, the title of that was, Is the Price to Book Ratio Dead? And you sort of went through this process about looking at the price, price to book ratio, what some of the disadvantages of you, what some of the pitfalls of using it are, what some of the criticisms, and then also some of the reasons why as a valuation metric and ratio, you know, maybe it's not so clear that price to book is, is, is dead. And so that's what we're going to sort of talk through today. But just at, at, at a high level, and I'll let you get into it. I mean, the price to book ratio is just price per share over book value per share. It's, you know, used by many people and it's sort of goes back to the Graham and Dodd days of investing, which is, you know, looking for stocks with low price to book ratios and um, having that be like a core valuation um, metric used in the way they select stocks. And that also is the core value metric in the Fama French academic studies that you see a lot. When you see like the performance of value stocks or small cap value stocks, what they're what they're doing in those tests is they're basically sorting stocks based on the price to book ratio and then looking at the returns of those value stocks over time. Um, so with that as a little intro, maybe if you just want to give uh, an overview of what you were trying to get at and then we'll get into some of the major points here. Sure. Like you said, there, there's no valuation ratio that's probably used more than the price to book. And, and a lot of that comes from the fact that it was it started by being used in academic research. You know, when Fama and French did the three-factor model, they used book to market, which is just the inverse of price to book as their primary valuation ratio. And then that flows through, you know, that academic work flows through to the asset management world. And so I, I had a chart at the beginning of the article, which was from Eric Balchunas at Bloomberg. And it was something like uh, the vast, vast majority of value ETFs use either price to book as their primary valuation factor or at least as a secondary valuation factor. I think he came up with like three. One is QVAL, which is our friends at Off Architect, three that do not use price to book. Almost every other value ETF and almost the vast, vast majority of the assets and value ETFs use the price to book. But what's interesting about that is if, if you look, and we'll get into this, but if you look at the academic research, you know, and, and if you look at sort of the way the world has changed, there's a big case to be made that price to book might be not the best ratio, but one of the worst valuation ratios. And so that disconnect between something that may be one of the worst ratios based on the data and based on what's going on in the world is one of the most used ratios. Is It's an interesting dichotomy. And that, that's why I wrote the article. I wanted to talk about maybe some of the reasons the price to book might not work anymore, some of the reasons maybe it shouldn't be used as much as it is, and then also look at the opposite side of it and say, maybe even though there's many arguments against it, here's some reasons maybe it can't be compla- declared completely dead. 
Right. And like you pointed out, you know, value has struggled almost for 15 years now. So buying cheap stocks based on book value or earnings or cash flow, you know, those that that hasn't really been a good strategy, especially relative to growth. But, you know, buying low price to book stocks has been probably the worst of those value strategies. And so, you know, that calls into question um, some of the things that we're going to get at as to why maybe price to book has done uh, a lot worse than many of the other value factors. And we, and we have to be careful about that too, because this, this always, we always do this. Everybody does this with valuation factors and with things in the market is when you see a period where something struggles for five years or for 10 years, you know, the normal reaction is to say it doesn't work anymore. But, and, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but you can't necessarily draw that conclusion off of the fact that it's struggled. You know, it's more important to look at the facts as to what's going on and does it make sense in the new world. And, and that's what these, these things I've yes. in the article are intended to do. No, I, I agree with you. And I think like a lot of the things that we are going to talk about, these are things that have been come up in the last few years. It's not like people were talking about these things that I know of at least, um, you know, some of these arguments really like 10 years ago. I mean, it's really in the past few years that people have looked at this and really asked the question, why has, you know, price to book struggled? What are, what are some of the pitfalls? So, um, so with that being said, the first argument as to why it might not work is that price to book doesn't account for intangible assets. Yeah, you know, we're in an economy now that's dominated by intangible assets. You know, if, if you look back many decades, you know, the, the economy was dominated by tangible assets, you know, property, plants, equipment, things like that. You know, now it's dominated by technology, by intellectual property, by brands, by things like that. And, you know, those don't show up anywhere on anyone's balance sheet. And so when you're evaluating companies relative to their assets minus their liabilities and a huge part of their assets, which is this, you know, these intangible assets are not accounted for, you can have valuations that make no sense. And so, for example, if, if we look at Google, is it really fair to value Google relative to its servers and its office buildings or whatever it has that are hard, legitimate assets? You know, that tells you almost nothing about the valuation of Google. And so it, you can make an argument that in this new world where intangible assets dominate, price to book doesn't make any sense because it doesn't reflect the majority of assets in the economy. Yeah, that's a that's a really good really good point. I mean, think about all these a lot of these companies with really strong brand names. I mean, Nike as an example, or um, I mean, a lot of the tech companies, especially which you know those technology companies have been some of the best performers over the past ten years. So the price to book wouldn't have worked very well in any of those companies. Um, okay, your second point was the price to book can't handle um, negative equity. Yeah, there's been this new phenomenon with all the buybacks that have occurred, which is so, some companies have bought back so much stock that they've driven themselves into a position where they have negative equity. And these, these are not, you know, bad companies. These are high quality companies, things like McDonald's and Starbucks and Home Depot. Those three companies all currently have negative equity and they don't have negative equity for the bad reasons that a firm typically would have negative equity. They have negative equity for what many would consider good reasons, which is they've been buying back their stock. But when you're when you're evaluating stocks with the price to book, and the book value is negative, the denominator is negative, you can't evaluate that stock. And so those companies are effectively excluded from all price-to-book-based strategies, and they're excluded for doing something that's a positive thing. So that, that is definitely a negative associated with price-to-book. And, and O'Shaughnessy wrote a great paper, uh, Travis Fairchild at O'Shaughnessy wrote a great paper about this, and he showed that these negative equity companies actually have returns, the excess returns over the market. So these negative equity companies actually produce a better return than the market over time. So you're, you're excluding these companies that have good returns because of something they're doing that's, that's a good thing. Yeah, and think about when a company is buy, buying back its stock, it's retiring those shares. So that means the current shareholders 
left holding the shares are entitled to more of the profits. So, you know, and given, uh, you know, the amount of buybacks that have happened over the last 10 years, um, which has been phenomenal, and it's probably been a large driver of the returns in the market, you know, it's easy to see why this would be problematic, um, you know, this negative equity issue. Yeah, and you know, there's arguments both on both sides of the whole buyback issue, but it, it's hard to argue that a firm that's buying a back at stock should just be excluded from value screens, and, and that's effectively what's happening. It's not a ton of companies, but that's happening with some of these good quality companies, and that doesn't necessarily make sense. Right. Um, the third point was uh, price to book has, and this is going to take a little bit of explaining, but you know, price to book has negative quality embedded in it. So what were you getting at there? Yeah, this goes back to our interview we did with Wes Gray of Alpha Architect on the podcast. And some value factors, when you just by using that value factor, you end up with quasi positive quality in your portfolio. And those are typically the value factors that get at like the earnings power of a company. So price to earnings, price to cash flow. And then other value factors have negative quality. So just by selecting stocks with a factor and not using any quality criteria, you end up with low quality companies. And that's what happens with price to book. So it's, it's a negative, just by using that factor, you're taking on negative quality. And since quality has a positive premium associated with it over the long term, you don't want to take on negative quality. And so that's another argument against the price to book is you're taking on this negative quality just by using it. Um, that's a good point. The fourth point is um, price to book has trailed other value metrics over the long term. And here what you were, what, what, what you were referencing was a um, some data from O'Shaughnessy Asset Management that looked at the returns of price to book versus other valuation metrics um, over multiple different decades or I guess periods of time when value has been working and it showed price to book was kind of at the lower end of the spectrum in terms of performance. Yeah, if you look at what they call the factor horse race, which is, you know, you line up every factor, you take the longest period you have for data, and you say, which factor gives me the best return? You know, price to book is going to be at the bottom of the value factors on that list. Things like price to cash flow and EV to EBITDA are going to be at the top, and price to book is going to be at the bottom. And so it's not just, we talked earlier about how it's struggled in the past decade. It's not saying it's struggled in the past decade. It's saying over 50 years, it does have a positive premium associated with it, but that positive premium is lower than some of the other factors. So there may be better factors to use than price to book. And the, and the other thing that the chart in the article showed is that price to book has had more of these underperforming decades than the other factors as well. Um, you know, th there were three decades of underperformance it identified just in this chart. So it, it has had a tendency to have more of these long extended periods of underperformance than some of the other factors. On the flip side of it, though, you had you did come up with a few examples or arguments as to why maybe it's too soon to price to um, declare price to book as being dead. The first one being, you know, price to book can be a reasonable approximation of value and it's more stable, perhaps, than some of the other value metrics. Yeah, you know, what we're getting at is, you know, a company is the is the present value of its future cash flows. And so the question is with these ratios, you know, what gives you a better idea of the valuation relative to that? And you know, this this comes from the Rational Reminder podcast with Ken French. And he was talking about, you know, price to book can be just as good as some of the other value metrics in accomplishing that. And and the other thing price to book has going for it relative to the other value metrics is book value is more stable than things like earnings and cash flows. And so if you're worried about turnover, you can get a lower turnover portfolio by relying on something that's more stable. And so by relying on price to book, you can get that as well. 
we've talked about this in a few other discussions, but the paper by Corey Hofstein, where he basically said, you know, you would need, I don't know how you'll be able to, how much time it's like, you know, decades, um, you know, we'll need decades of, uh, additional performance history to be able to know that the price to book factor actually isn't effective from a statistical perspective. Yeah, this was a pure statistical analysis he looked at. And, you know, one of the questions you often hear is, all right, we've, you know, the price to book has struggled for 10 years. What does that tell me about whether it still works? And, and this gets at that question, you know, can I conclude after 10 years of underperformance that the price to book is broken? And, and the answer is no, you absolutely cannot conclude after 10 years. Not only can you not conclude after 10 years, but what Corey found is it would take 67 years. And so to say with 100% certainty, or at least with statistical significance, that the price to book is dead would take 67 years. So what that tells you is that this period of underperformance we're in now doesn't tell me too much about whether the price to book is dead. It may still be dead for the reasons we outlined earlier, but for, we can't say that with statistical significance at this point. And this, the, this last point's an interesting one. Uh, and you use some of our data, I think, to, to try to get at some of this, but your third sort of argument was the cheapest stocks actually have the least amount of tangible assets anyways. That's right. So if, if you look if you sort of look at stocks ranked by valuation with the price to book, when you get at that top grouping, you know, the Googles and the Facebooks of the world, those companies have the absolute most intangible assets. When you get at the bottom of the barrel, you know, these are your basic materials type companies. These are companies that have the least intangible assets. And so what I was getting at there is if you're using a price to book strategy to pick value stocks, what you're really dealing with is the bottom of the barrel stocks. You're not really dealing with the top. We, we don't care where Google ranks. We're dealing with the absolute bottom of the barrel. And that bottom of the barrel changes the least when you when you apply intangible assets. And so, so what I did is I took something O'Shaughnessy did in their paper, which is called the enhanced price to book. And so what you do for the enhanced price to book is instead of treating advertising and research and development as expenses, you treat them as assets and you depreciate them over time just like any other asset. And so what happens when you do it that way is your assets get built up because your, your advertising expenditure, a, a good portion of that resides as an asset. Mm -hmm. and, when you, when you, and then you can revalue every single company using this price, enhanced price to book relative to the standard price to book. And what I found is on, on this bottom of the barrel, you know, if I look at, say, the cheapest 100 companies in our database, 85 of them remain the cheapest companies even after making that adjustment. And right. so what I was saying is this isn't really an argument in favor of price to book. It's just saying that the, this, all the stuff we're talking about, particularly the intangible asset thing, has the least impact on the cheapest stocks relative to the most expensive stocks. So where did you end up, you know, what, in, your, in your mind, what do you think the conclusion is of this? I mean, I think there's really good arguments for against price to book, and there's really some arguments to say, listen, this, it may not be, you know, maybe it's not as bad as um, it looks on the surface. What were your final concluding thoughts? Yeah, well, I, I think the negative arguments outweigh the positive arguments. And, you know, we also have to put it in the context of the way the price to book is used. So is there any justification whatsoever for the price to book being used by 95% of value ETFs and being used more than every other valuation ratio? There's not. Um, you know, it has the strongest case against it of any valuation ratio, but it's used the most. And, and that doesn't make any sense. But I also think, you know, looking at the criteria at the end, I'm not willing, and a lot of people are willing. I think when we had Wes on the podcast, he is willing. I'm not willing to say 100% the price to book is dead. You know, I think if, if you're going to use the price to book, it, it definitely makes sense to use it as part of a composite of value factors. I don't, I don't think it makes sense to use the price to book on a standalone basis. Or at the very least, if you're going to use the price to book on its own, you want to put some sort of positive quality characteristics into your portfolio so that you can offset that negative quality thing we talked about earlier. So I don't think you can say the price to book is dead, but I think it clearly has the, the strongest argument against it of any value factor. Great.
No, that's a great point. All right. Well, uh, that's a good way, I think, to wrap this uh, episode up. So thank you guys for listening. We hope you found this discussion valuable. Thank you. Hi, guys. This is Justin again. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Excess Returns. You can follow Jack on Twitter at, at @practicalquant and follow me on Twitter at, at JJ Carboneau. If you found this discussion interesting and valuable, please subscribe in either iTunes or on YouTube or leave a review or a comment. We appreciate it.